Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at ADCES24.org. Hello, and welcome to ADCS's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm your host, Kate Thomas, Chief Advocacy and External Affairs Officer at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. Working on so many of ADCS's advocacy initiatives, I know firsthand how the topic of insulin affordability is top of mind for diabetes care and education specialists and the people with diabetes whom they serve. That's why I'm so happy to welcome today's guest to the show. JDRF CEO Aaron Kowalski joins us today to share details of an exciting initiative his organization and others are working on to bring new affordable insulin options to the market. In this episode of The Huddle, You'll learn when and how these new affordable insulin options will be available. Erin also shares the plans for distribution and how you, as a member of the diabetes care team, can play an important role in getting people with diabetes access to equitable and affordable health care. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I am here with a really esteemed guest, and I know at ADCS, we've been so proud to call JDRF a partner, and we really have had such value in promoting the meaningful work that you've done for people with diabetes, especially type 1 diabetes. And we've recently done some work in promoting some of the newly diagnosed resources that you have for children, teens, adults. But there's so much more that your organization does. So for anyone who's new to JDRF, could you please introduce yourself, though I know you probably need no introduction as many people already know you, and tell us a little bit about the work that's being done within JDRF and at your organization. Sure. Thanks, Kate. And it's great to be on with ADCS. As you said, I love our partnership together. We can't thank all of you for what you do for people with diabetes, JDRF is an organization that was founded to drive cures for type 1 diabetes. And our mission is to accelerate life-changing breakthroughs to cure, prevent, and better treat type 1 diabetes and its complications. And to do that, we fund research. We work with companies. We work with regulators. We work with clinicians and payers because ultimately, we call that the pipeline. All these things have to happen and line up for somebody's life to be changed for the better. I speak from personal experience. My brother and I have type 1 diabetes. So I'm proud of the work we do, and it takes a village. And again, I'm proud of the partnership with ADCES for all that you do. Well, thank you. And I know that you've really expanded the mission of JDRF over these past couple of years. And the really big announcement that was recently made was this new affordable insulin project that JDRF has announced in early March. And this is a collaboration. I believe there are 25 organizations involved with JDRF being one of the groups to spearhead. This collaboration with Civica, a nonprofit generic pharmaceutical manufacturer, to manufacture and distribute new affordable insulin options. So speaking to that part of your mission about finding better ways to treat diabetes or manage diabetes. So could you tell us a little bit more about this initiative and explain JDRF's level of involvement? Sure. 
Again, GDF was founded to cure type 1 diabetes, but we are very appreciative that we're not there yet and that we need people to be healthy when we get to cures. And how is it possible that in the United States, we have one in four people rationing insulin, a drug that keeps them alive because of price? So this project with Civica and our support of the Civica initiative is addressing this widespread issue of insulin affordability and accessibility that impacts so many people here in the United States. Obviously, there's a global problem. Civica is focused on the U.S. Right. And it is life-sustaining. You know, people with diabetes died. We Here we are 100 years since the advent of insulin, the discovery of insulin. Before that, everybody died. So it's just shocking to me that in 2022, we're still talking about access to insulin. The goal of this initiative is to provide additional avenues for people so that they have affordable and accessible insulin consistently with a low-cost alternative that doesn't require any insurance. Um, of course, we hope that this will impact people who have insurance, but I think it particularly helps people who are underinsured or uninsured. And that's a huge part of the population in terms of, uh, you know, we talk about a lot of the advocacy and legislative work we do. We know there are some proposals in Congress talking about national copay caps, which are really important, but those are really for people with commercial insurance or Medicare or government insurance. So this is looking at those without insurance, which I think these people are often left behind or, or not part of some of the policy solutions. So I'm really interested that this campaign is, is much different from some of the other um, proposals that we've seen or some of the other campaigns that we've seen. Why did you choose this approach? I, I believe I heard you um, in one of your interviews say that you actually went to your board a couple of years ago and said, we need to get into the business of manufacturing insulin. But this was before this partnership even shook out. Could you talk a little bit about the strategy behind um, working with Civica on this? Sure. So the, the discussion we had with our board was looking at this problem. And as you point out, we partner with you and others in the diabetes community on Capitol Hill to address this problem. And our country is complicated in the way we cover people for medical care, as all your members appreciate. Mm -hmm. As you noted, there are, there's Medicare, there's Medicaid, there are big payers, there are small payers, there are all sorts of insurance plans. But this system that we sit in that includes these rebates and this complicated system of putting different drugs on formularies has led to this escalating list price issue. And everybody in the diabetes community knows because we take insulin every day, this impacts us. And the escalating list price is incredibly impactful for people who are uninsured or have high deductible plans. Mm -hmm. So the idea here was we're not going to stop advocating. Right. Uh, we will still be on the Hill advocating for affordable insulin and in our payer systems. But for these folks, we were looking for another solution. And working with Civica, you know, Civica's doing, you know, I went to the board and I said, we should uh, make a go at this. But of course, we don't make insulin, you know, so right, we're going right. to be trying to start from scratch. And Civica makes drugs and they do it well. They've made over 60 drugs. They work with a number of hospital systems, millions of people. And we realized we could do this together. And what we're going to do is make uh, generic insulin. So talking about what people know as Atlantis, Humalog, and Novolog, biosimilar versions of that, and cap the price and not participate in this complicated rebidding system. This will be a list price that goes out. We won't sell it for any more. And it'll be $30 a vial 
our $55 for a box of pens. That I think will be transformative. The insulin will be made by a company in India, imported to a factory in Virginia, and manufactured there, placed into the vials and pens. And then we're going to distribute it through payers, but also likely direct to consumer through the likes of the Costco's and Walmart's and Amazon's of the world. And by that, if you are uninsured, you will not get a $300 plus list price. You will get a $30 list price. It's such a remarkable initiative. And we heard from so many of our members who were really eager to hear the details of this. So thank you for sharing that. And I did reference individuals without insurance or people with high deductible plans. But as you said, this is really for anybody who is interested in getting a more affordable price for their insulin. So it's it's open to any and all individuals. Is that how I understand it? That's right. The key element there, though, Kate, is we are not going to participate in a rebating system where the way we've described it is an MSRP, like on a car. It's there, it's transparent, and we won't distribute it if people intend to increase that price. I do appreciate that approach. I think for, I mean, as we talked about for so many years, we've all been working to change the system, improve the system. But my take on this, as you've really said, we're going to work outside of the system. We're going to create our own system and really focus on making insulin affordable for all people who need it. As I referenced, our diabetes care and education specialists have a lot of questions. They're fielding questions from some people with diabetes whom they're working with. So in terms of some of the details, you covered um, what types of insulin would be available, what the pricing would look like. Could you talk a little bit about the timeline for availability and when we would expect to see these insulins on the market? Sure. So the intention is to launch in 2024. And I've heard kind of both sides of this. Uh, <laughs> it's going to take too long. And how can you do that so quickly? Right. So um, I think the folks who say it's going to take too long are the folks who are paying uh, this high list prices and are desperate for relief. We empathize and we're doing everything we can to move this project along. On the folks who say, wow, that's fast, they appreciate that this is a regulatory process. We have to get the plant manufacturing the insulin, loading it, FDA you know, validated, et cetera, and so forth. So again, the beauty of working with Civica is they've done this before. Right. They have manufactured over 60 drugs. They know what they're doing. Their team is amazing. I've been really, really impressed working with them. 2024 is the intended uh, launch. We're going to do everything we can to stick to that date or accelerate if possible. And again, the intention will be to launch it through as many vehicles as possible to get it into the hands of as many people as possible when we're out on the market. I think that's wonderful. And I was of the camp of, wow, two years seems really fast. I know it doesn't seem fast, as you said, to somebody who does not have an affordable insulin option. But just two years from now, I think there's so much promise in having that timeline ahead. You mentioned going through the regulatory process. Any challenges that you anticipate with FDA or some of the regulatory or manufacturing approvals that you need to bring this to market? Sure. That's something that we reviewed extensively. And the good news is there are pathways, as I think all of your members know, for generic insulins to come through the FDA. Mm -hmm. We've seen this with a, a number of versions of generic insulins. But our frustration is that they haven't really knocked the price down much. Right. Because they're working through this same system that's been driving the list prices up. So from a technical perspective, 
we know people can make insulin. You know, it turns out that my background is in protein biochemistry, so I used to make a lot of proteins back when I was in the lab. Mm-hmm. Um, this is obviously a, a significantly bigger skill, but we know how to do it. And FDA understands the pathway. So technically, we believe that this is a pathway that we will hit our timeframes and the obstacles we understand. So, of course, this, you know, this is a drug that's life sustaining and needs to be right. Right. um, The great news, again, of the team at Civica is they are experts at making drugs. So. We are, uh, we'll be monitoring this carefully and look forward <laughs> to checking in with folks uh, along the course of the uh, project. That's wonderful. And going back, you had mentioned a few things about distribution, and it seems like there's going to be wide distribution available through all different channels. I've heard things like Amazon and Costco's payers. Could you talk about your strategy around distribution or where you envision the distribution taking place? Sure. So as you saw and you referenced, we have a number of partners working with us on this project, including a number of large payers like Kaiser Permanente, uh, a number of Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, members, Intermountain Health. So part of this will be through traditional payment systems. But again, coming back to probably the highest need individuals out there, we want to make sure that this insulin is accessible and attainable. And hence our discussions going with retail pharmacies and even online vehicles such as Amazon. You know, if you get to the Costco's and Walmarts of the country, the geographical distribution of these stores covers, I think, within an hour drive, the bulk of Americans. Mm -hmm. Of course, if you get online, you have um, most of America covered as well. So we're very, very sensitive to making sure that the barriers to access are as low as possible. You know, I hear all of the time, you know, somebody goes on a trip or is out, their vial breaks and needs to get insulin quickly. And I think that's one of the challenges in today's system is it can take time. So our goal is easily and as quickly as possible to get insulin as affordable as possible into the hands of people wherever. Yeah. And speaking of that, I've heard some estimates in terms of, I believe there are 7 million individuals who are on insulin in this country, and um, that's a really significant pool of people in terms of uh, ability to scale this project. What do you anticipate as being the percentage of the market that you'll be supporting through the insulin manufactured through this partnership? Well, I, I can tell you, I was on a call with the team at Civica and members of Congress right when we launched. And we believe, and the Civica team believes, that they could make as much insulin as required for Americans. Now, the estimate of where the market might shake out is in the probably a third of people could benefit from these insulins, but they have the capability to make a good deal of insulin. And that gives me a lot of comfort that we're not talking about a fraction of people. We're talking about being able to make enough insulin to address this problem and address it for the people who are um, feeling the real pain. Yeah. And to that point, you talked about impact to the healthcare system, but this really has the potential to create, I believe, a shift or transformation in the healthcare system. What do you think will be the impact this project will have on insulin affordability overall? I, I really see this as the potential for changing the system. Is that your hope or <laughs> viewpoint as well? It's certainly our hope, and I I believe it will. 
And I, I want to be clear that GDRF, we believe that there's still lots of room for improvement in mm -hmm. insulin. So there are a number of projects that we're working on on innovative insulins, and those, we believe, should get premium pricing. But when we think about generic insulin, drugs that are off patent, and this is why Civica was founded, we believe that those drugs should be affordable and accessible. And I think that we will see a, a significant change. I think it will address disparities in our healthcare system. We yeah. see, you know, often these costs impacting the most vulnerable and um, underserved communities, and particularly in lower socioeconomic um, class of people. So this um, doesn't change, though, again, our work with your team and others on the Hill. You know, whether it's through Build Back Better or, you know, the recently introduced Affordable Insulin Now Act. You're right. This is a multi-pronged approach. I think, uh, you know, our communities know that it's going to take a lot of different um, shots on goal to get mm -hmm. this fixed to make sure everybody has access. So we're going to continue to push on the hill. But I do think this is going to be transformative. I think it's going to significantly change the landscape on the generic side and and really open up affordability. And I think the interest from payers is also a really good indicator that this has the potential to create some shift in the system. Um, you mentioned some of the other opportunities out there. I, I feel like coming from the advocacy side, our work is never done, especially in the diabetes space. There's always improvements to be made. Um, you mentioned a few different areas that you're working on. Any other opportunities for change or improvement that you see that you'd like our members to be aware of? I know you're doing a lot on the screening side as well, but any big advocacy or other priorities that you, you'd like to talk about? Well, we just had our advocates together this week, uh, virtually, unfortunately, yeah. hopefully soon back in person. One of the things, I, I guess I would say a couple of things. When I talk about life-changing breakthroughs to our type one community, that again, adds up to a lot of different things. It takes research. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we talk about with our advocates is federal funding for diabetes research. Diabetes is underfunded. Right. And your members have a huge voice. I always um, am so appreciative of the ADCES um, members because you're the front line. I mean, I've been there with diabetes educators myself personally for so many years. And I think the voice of, you know, we need better we need better tools in diabetes. Yeah. I go back to my work when I ran our research department and as growing up as a researcher at JDRF, you know, the transformative nature of CGM. Right. Now of automated insulin delivery, of some of the new drugs that are uh, available, SGLT inhibitors whether or Incretin therapies. So I think on the advocacy front, Part of it is we still need better tools, and that takes research and regulatory policy change. And then on the accessibility, if you're unable to access these advancements, and I think of, for example, our work on CGM and Medicare, mm -hmm. it killed me that people in Medicare couldn't access CGM. Right. And JDRF spent over $10 million on that fight over the years. Now, CMS is covering all CGMs. And that drives equity and care. Mm -hmm. So I think when I think of, you know, the diabetes educator community and the incredibly important role on the front line, like I always think of accessibility, accessibility. And I think the civic initiative is one of those examples. CGM access was another. And we need to keep fighting that fight. 
Those are excellent examples. And, and we get a lot of feedback from our members, too, about um, what, what is happening on the front lines. What are the areas where we need to push or where are the resources needed? So it's helpful to hear your perspective in that. And I really look forward to continuing that partnership and some of the advocacy work and some of the coalition work that we've been doing. Um, any other ways diabetes care and education specialists can support your work? You mentioned the advocacy call to action. Um, we had been speaking to your community engagement team about aligning some of the state chapters and our state chapters to see if we can really bring providers and people with diabetes together. Anything else that we can do as diabetes care and education specialists to support the work of the JDRF? Well, we're, we're again, so grateful for the partnership. And I think there are a number of things. You know, we have so many different challenges in yeah. diabetes right now. I think underserved communities are a big, big focus of ours at JDRF. I think, interestingly, the kind of the next frontier in one of my last meetings where I spoke um, at the annual meeting, I talked about what's coming down the pipe. Mm -hmm. And we talked about, for example, preventative therapies or disease-delaying therapies like teplizumab that's at FDA for potential approval right now. One of the things that I think the community can really start to do is think about you know, what are these next frontiers and how can we be out in front of them? Mm -hmm. You know, an interesting debate at at least the FDA when that drug was up at a panel review was, is delaying diabetes for three to five years clinically meaningful? Right. And you, you heard the community speak out loudly. Of course, that's clinically meaningful. Yeah. So I see the preventative therapies and cell therapies as kind of the next frontier in diabetes. Mm -hmm. And it'll be really interesting to work together to think about how we're evolving treatment uh, so that people can benefit. And then, of course, as we focused on in this discussion, that there's equitable access to these treatments. And certainly two areas where our members are very focused on. And I look forward to exploring some of those opportunities there because I, I agree that there's some real potential in both of those fronts, especially in working to get equitable access to diabetes care. It's something that is a real, real significant priority for our organization and our members as well. I appreciate your time today. Any parting thoughts or comments to the diabetes provider community? Anything else that we should be aware of as we await 2024 and the availability of these new insulins on the market? I guess I would say I can't imagine, you know, I'm not a clinician, I'm a scientist, researcher, but having a toolbox where you can't use some of the tools for lack of access to them. Mm -hmm. And to me, you know, they always say it takes a village. You know, the ADCES team and all your members are a big part of this village. And again, I can't stress enough, and we say this to our advocates, but we all need to be advocating. Clinicians need to be advocating. Patients need to be advocating. And the louder our voice, the more we're going to see this stuff move. So again, while we're on the hill together, locking arms, or even in our local communities, I can't speak enough for the you know, the power of a large united voice, but individual voices. Mm -hmm. And I look forward to working with your membership and thinking about how we can amplify further and get that word out. You know, ultimately, as this Civic Insulin rolls out, your membership will be the first users prescribing, teaching, you know, getting people up to speed. So that all adds up to life changing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what I want to do together. Well, thank you very much. And what has always 
struck me about the diabetes community is that sense of community. People are really working together, uh, whether it's clinicians, people with diabetes, others, for the common good, for the good of the person with diabetes. And and that's really been uh, so impressive to me that people are speaking with a cohesive and collective voice. And I think that's really resulted in a lot of the policy changes and clinical changes that you've talked about today. So I just wanted to thank you so much for joining us today. I know you've been speaking to a lot of people. You're in high demand, and our members really value the work that you're doing. And we so appreciate everything that the JDRF does to improve care for people with type 1 diabetes, to cure type 1 diabetes. And if anybody who's listening would like more information about this initiative or anything else with JDRF, where should they go? can go to jdrf.org. We have a lot of information, again, about this initiative and all of the different research that we're supporting right now. And um, don't hesitate to be in touch with me. I I look forward to speaking with everybody. And it's a real honor to be on uh, with you today and deeply appreciate everything that ADCES does for our T1D community. Thank you so much, Aaron. And we'll drop some of those resources in the show notes so that those listeners of the podcast can access everything there. But thank you again for your time and for all of the work that you're doing. And it's been an honor to talk with you today. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle. I can safely say that we're all really looking forward to 2024 when more affordable options to life-sustaining medication become available and more available than it has been in many years, regardless of insurance status. All of us on the ADCS advocacy team are always looking to get you the support you need to make the difference for your clients. And these changes represent the removal of a significant barrier that we've been grappling with for years, the issue of affordability. Make sure to learn more about JDRF and this new initiative. Just head over to the notes at diabeteseducator.org slash podcast to get the full scoop. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.